Welcome to Linworth Road Church, helping people become fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. Visit linworthroadchurch.com to learn more. We're going to continue um, our short series in parables and uh, this morning, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, where we find one parable actually in three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, otherwise known as the, the prodigal son. So let me start off this way. Bless you. Have you ever lost something that really mattered to you and you just couldn't find it? And you were searching everywhere for it and then you found it. You remember how happy you were when you found it? It may be your key or your purse or your wallet or maybe perhaps your, your wedding ring or maybe your kid. Because nobody's ever lost their kid here, right? Yeah. Seriously, you ever lost a kid? It's not a good day, is it? No, it's, yeah, it's not real good. Uh, and some of you are sitting there going, hey, you know what? I can't believe you, you could lose a kid. Did you lost a kid? Well, if you have not lost a kid, do you want to know why? Here's why. Because you don't have a kid. <laughs> I mean, kids are like little ninjas. They just kind of like, whoosh, they're gone, and then whoosh, they appear. You, you turn around, and they, can, they can't disappear on you. And um, thankfully, we didn't lose our kids more than 10 or 11 times, so uh, not true. But, uh, um, but as soon as you have a kid, eventually you're going to lose that kid. It doesn't matter what kind of eye that you keep on them. They, they, are, they, they have this, this tendency to just be able to sneak away. Or maybe you, yourself, have you ever been lost? And maybe think a little bit more. Have you ever been lost when you were a, a child or a kid? And you remember, you know, what that was like and how scary that was. Um, you're, you know, two sides. You're lost and there's this fear. And then you're found. And you are just so happy and so joyful that you have been found. You know, any of us, if we were in a situation where we had lost our family, okay, um, or we got lost, and I mean really lost in, a, in, in just a situation where it wasn't just one minute, two minutes, but it was just... Whatever it was, there was this separation and, there's the, and, part of, and our family's lost. We would do everything in our power to find them. We would seek after them uh, with everything that we had until we found them. And when we found them, what would we do, man? We would, we would celebrate. We, 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 would, we would hug them. We would be so happy. Uh, we would tell them how much we love them. And why would we do this? Well, it's because we love them. It's because they are a part of us. They're ours. And the thought of losing them forever would be absolutely unbearable. And so to set up this talk this morning, I want to show you a clip from the movie The Impossible. Has anybody seen the movie The Impossible? One person. Okay. It's the movie about the tsunami. Okay, two people. Okay. (laughs) This will work great. Yeah. Anyways, but... um, I want to show you this clip here because I think in many ways, not perfectly, but emotionally captures many of the truths uh, in these stories. Uh, That if we lost somebody, our family, that we would do everything in our strength to find them. And when we did, we would celebrate that we we found them. And so this this movie, just like uh, each of the stories we'll look at this morning, has something that is lost, something that is sought after, it's found, and celebrated. So I'm gonna, let me set up the movie itself so I can kind of get you into it. The movie is the true story of the Balone family. 
And um, they went on a family vacation for Christmas and to Thailand. They had three boys and a mom and a dad. And it's a riveting story. And I must warn you, if you're going to go out and rent this thing, it is not for the faint-hearted. It is pretty intense. Uh, it is absolutely, I think, amazing. And it will take you on an emotional roller coaster that you may never get off of, okay? But it, it happens when a tsunami wave from a magnitude 9.1 earthquake undersea earthquake hits, and then the tsunami wave comes across the Indian Ocean and hits this resort, vacation resort place, um, where this is concentrating on, but obviously all of that area there. And hundreds of thousands of people perished in this. And so it takes out their hotel and the surrounding areas. And in the scene that we're going to see, the mother and one of the sons, they've been, they, they've been washed away from this hotel, and they're searching now, trying to get back um, to their family. And she was badly injured, and they're eventually they're rescued, and they're brought to this kind of makeshift hospital. She's hanging on to her life. And then on the other side, you have her husband, and, and he's been desperately searching for his family. He's by himself, and he eventually gets back to this hotel, and miraculously, he finds the other two boys, and the other two boys are fine. And then he makes this gut-wrenching decision to leave these two boys with um, uh, another family, to go search and go look for his um, wife and other son who are lost. And so this is where we pick it up in this movie, is that the father is going to these different places. He just got dropped off this one place for five minutes. He said, give me five minutes at this hospital. And unknown to him, his son, his wife, and his oldest son are there. And then in this process, the son is trying to bring something to his mom and he looks under and he sees a shorts and legs of a person. And he, and he recognizes that. He thinks it's his dad. And so he runs out. And he's looking, going all over the hospital. And he tries to get outside to look and see if it's his dad. And he's looking around. And that's where um, we pick up the story. So take a look.
Powerful, huh? It's, uh, if you watch the movie, there is so much that happens to get to this point in the movie. Yes, I know. Lots of tissues happening right now. <laughs> I've watched it like five or six times, and I still, yeah, it gets me too. But uh, here in, 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 and so that's a, a picture that we're going to see this morning of how God chases after, how much he loves us, and he'll do anything to restore a relationship with us. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares three beautiful stories within one parable. And, uh, and, and so we're going to see God's amazing love through this. And these parables, these stories, they paint a portrait of the character and of the nature of God and exposes to God's heart of love, excuse me, towards us. So whether you're here this morning and you're okay with God, you're right with God, um, that's great. Or maybe you feel or don't feel connected and lost a little bit. Or you've wandered away from him emotionally. Or you have never come into a relationship with him. I want you to know this, that God will do everything he can to find you and offer his love to you. He will welcome you. He will not condemn you, but he will celebrate you. And we're going to find in each of these stories something that is lost, something that is sought, something that is found, and something that is celebrated. Now, I'm not going to read the entire text up front. It's the entire chapter 15. We're going to take each section and go through it. So let's pray before we get started. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your love. May we understand today, uh, through these stories that you gave us, um, how big, how wide, how tall, how deep your love is for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we walk through these um, stories, you should know that there is some debate as to who the lost is in each of these stories and who they represent, um, whether they are unsaved or are they are saved. And just so you know, I, for me at least, this, where I land is that I believe that they, they are um, believers, that they're not unbelievers, uh, who either wandered away, became lost, or walked away from the Lord. Uh, in each situation uh, with the sheep, it talks about all the sheep being together and one leaving. And the coins, the coins are all together. One is lost. And uh, the son, of course, is the, is the son of the father. And um, so we're going to see, you'll see that as we read. But regardless of whether they are believers or whether they are non-believers, the truth of God's love towards those that are lost, it doesn't change. It is the same. So let's begin reading. It should be on page 874 in your pew Bibles. I'll give you just a second to uh, open it up. And we're looking at just the first two verses to start off with here. And it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So first off, we have two different sets of people here. On the one side, we have the tax collector and sinners. And then on the other side, we have the scribes and the Pharisees. And so Jesus tells uh, this parable uh, to this group, because of the grumbling of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were just upset with what they were seeing. They were not happy. They didn't understand why Jesus was hanging out uh, with this people. They just could not get their heads around this. And so, who is this, the, the, uh, the tax collectors uh, in uh, here? Well, the tax collectors, and if you've uh, read through the Bible, they come, we come across tax collectors a few different times. But uh, they are not the sweet little tax collectors who hung out in a tree like we learn in Sunday school. Okay? Many of you know 
the song. One person put it this way very strongly. He said, most of us have had the weight of what a tax collector is removed from us. Because we have learned in Sunday school that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And so he climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. And I'm sure you sang that with your kids many times. And we're told that the tax collector, he was a man who's supposed to get like $25 from somebody. Instead, he gets $30 from you because he wants to get rich. And uh, so that's, that's a good story, but it's not really the full picture, and it's not really true. Because he, he then goes on and says, he says this, Let me try to explain why Zacchaeus really was a worthless piece of trash who on his best day deserved to be burned alive. Strong opinion? <laughs> yeah, there. But in reality, these um, tax collectors, you know, they were in cahoots with the Romans. They collected taxes for the Romans, okay, who spent their, who were just terrible, who spent their time killing people, taking over things, lining streets with dead people as you came into their, into the, in the city to remind you who's in charge. And the tax collectors were a part of funding this, this thing that is going on. And so they, they, they were, they were not good, okay? And then you have the sinners. And here we think, okay, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, everybody's a sinner. But that's not what the sinners are here. Sinners here, or they're kind of a class of people that are, um, they can be diseased or deformed, or their job is one that the Jews would have considered uh, uh, something that is unclean. So they were uh, prostitutes, slave traders, tax collectors, or they had some type of physical ailment that the Jews viewed um, and um, as being a curse that they had before God or from God. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they were besides the, beside themselves, and they just couldn't understand that Jesus is mingling with these people that they consider to be social outcasts, considered to be unclean, um, ones that they would not assemble with, that they would not touch with. If they saw one coming, they would walk to the other side of the street so they could be nowhere near um, these. And so that's the setup, and that's, that's the, the picture of where these stories enter in. But before we go much further, each of the stories is going to point out five things that happen. These are not the cleanest five things, but we're going to work with them, okay? Number one is he notices, um, and in this case, he notices the lost. And two, he searches. Number three, he finds. Number four, he rejoices or celebrates. And number five, fellowship is restored. All of these relating to God. We're going to talk about the stories and what happens in the stories, but you can take those same things and transfer them to how God works through those different things. First story, uh, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay, so first off, we notice something very interesting here and something that's kind of neat. In this story here, and it doesn't happen as often, but Jesus invites his audience, these people, into the story. He says, what man of you? And so he engages them directly, having a hundred sheep. Okay? All right, so our first point, our first thing that happens one is he notices. He notices that one of his sheep is missing. 
has wandered off and has gotten lost. And so, uh, it, you know, perhaps you can picture it's the end of the day, and he's counting his sheep, 93, 4, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. Okay, where's Fluffball? I mean, you know, <laughs> right? Where's Snowy? Where's Gertrude? You know, whatever the name of your, your lost sheep is, and, and, and he's not there, right? One of his sheep is missing. But something to notice here um, in this um, uh, that comes out in the nuance of the of this story is that with these sheep, the picture is God is not just like looking over them, you know, um, 100% of the time. They're just kind of out there grazing and he's doing whatever he's doing. There's freedom. There's movement from these sheep. They're not robots. They have somewhat, in, in a sense, some free will to move around. And this one sheep takes advantage of that. And so the shepherd representing God notices um, and he notices that someone or one of these sheep has wandered. And he notices when we wander. And oftentimes, when we begin to wander, he doesn't immediately just snap us up and take us right back. So now that he noticed that this sheep is gone, number two, he searches. And he searches relentlessly for his lost sheep, just like we saw in the movie clip. And this speaks of God's love for us. Notice he leaves what? The 99 in the open country. So he leaves these 99 that are okay, and he sets off to find this one lost lamb. And that is what God is like. He is like that in every way. And I'm not sure he's of the mindset that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Don't we hear that often? The needs of the many outweigh the matters of the one? No. With God, Every individual matters. You matter. I matter. And so if the shepherd had 10,000 sheep and 999,000, um, uh, he would leave the 999,000 and he would go look for that one. Why would he do that? Because it is the character of God to love the individual and to seek the lost. If you were the only person on earth who was lost, and you needed a Savior, and you needed to be found, Jesus would have still come to earth, die for you, and find you, and save you. And so what Jesus is saying here is that if you are lost, he is going to look for you. He's going to pursue you. Number three, uh, he finds, okay? He finds the sheep. So look back at at verse 4. It says that he goes after the one that is lost. And notice this word. And you might want to circle this. Until. Until he finds it. I want you to embrace this, folks. The shepherd searches and searches and searches until he finds the sheep. He doesn't give up. He looks everywhere. He looks in every hole behind every bush. He's not willing to give up until he finds it. Until he finds you. So he goes on searching and searching until he finds us. And this is the pursuing love of God. And I hope uh, of everything that I say uh, this morning that you are going to grasp this concept of how God pursues us and that his love is something that never ends. It tells us that even though we are lost, even though we may wander away, even though we have strayed, God still wants us. He still yearns for us. His heart goes out for us. He still looks for us insistently and intensely until there's no other way left. That's your God. 
That is my God. Now, we don't always respond, right, when God, if we've strayed, sometimes we don't, we don't respond. Sometimes we continue to move away from him, don't we? And, and he wants us, he's pursuing us, and we know, but we feel so guilty, and the things that we've done, how can I go back to God? This is like the 50th time that I've done this. It reminds me of our dog, Tucker. Um, Tucker's no longer uh, with us, bless his doggy soul. Um, he came out here from San Diego with us, and he was here for a few years, but Tucker was part husky. And every once in a while, the call of the wild would enter his little pea brain, and, you know, we could have him in our backyard for, for, you know, a week or two, not on a chain, no problem, and then I think I need to go explore. And so Tucker goes exploring. Well, Tucker, especially as he got older, he was one of those ones where you, he, he, you saw him, you made eye contact with him, and he would just, like, laugh at you. And you'd move towards him, and so did he go off to someplace else? And then, and then he'd go again. And so, you know, he was just playing with us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure our neighbors thought we were crazy, but... Um, but oftentimes, um, that's what happens. Sometimes we, when God is, is, is looking for us, and we know we're just in that place, we, maybe we're in a place of shame. We've placed the shame on ourselves, and we don't want to face God. We don't want to speak to Him. Somehow we miss the idea that He is a restorer of souls. We just miss it, and we forget about it. And it's really when you break it down, when you know when you come back to the Lord, you really figure out, why did I, why did I take so long to come back to Him? Why did I not let him just hold me, pick me up, put him on, on his shoulders, and love on me? So number four, what happens when he finds us? He rejoices. Look what he does in verse five. First, does he scold? Does he shame? Does he put down? Does he yell at the lamb? No. He picks up the sheep, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he takes it home. When the shepherd found this lost lamb, he didn't scold. He didn't whip it. He didn't drive it to to where are the other 99 were, back to this flock. Instead, he picked up this lamb and he carried him on his shoulder all the way back home. Who knows how far um, he was lost. And I want you to get this. Can you get the idea that God celebrates you? God celebrates you. His love celebrates who you are. Are And when you stray, he's doing everything he can so that he can celebrate with you. When you've messed up and you've come back, I want you to let that sink in. That is your Father. That is your Lord. That is your Savior. And if you've ever had the picture of God as an ogre, you know, just waiting to crush you at every wrong turn, I hope your picture is changing or has changed. And if, and if so, you need to let him embrace you. And if that's you this morning and you just have this wrong picture of God, will you, will you allow him to do that? Will you allow him to put you on his shoulder? Will you allow him to embrace you? Number five, fellowship restored. Oftentimes, you know, when we wander from God, what are we doing? We're wandering from that flock. Who's that flock? That's our community. That's our fellowship with others. And oftentimes we start hiding from them because we don't feel good about Ourself, but when he finds us, he wants us back into community. I don't know where you are with God right now. I mean, we're in all different places, right? But I just want to challenge you: if, if you are away from Him, don't be so prideful that you can't let God pick you up. That you will not allow Him to accept you back 
to pick you up and put it on his shoulders and celebrate with you. And then finally, in this first little story, there's a bonus. Of course, heaven rejoices, which is kind of pretty cool. There is joy. We'll find out in each of these stories that there is joy in heaven. Now, let's look at the next story real quick, okay? Um, we're not going to linger here real long because it kind of says basically the same thing. So, um, something's lost, sought after, found, and celebrated. Okay? Um, verse 6. You ready? Here we go. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until, she, until there's that word again, she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So by using the word or, so he gives us a first story, right? And then he, and then he uses or. It's almost like he's saying, he gives a story, and he looks at the Pharisees and, and everybody there, and there's probably just, and there's this glazed look. Maybe they, okay, you, the sheep, that doesn't connect for you? Okay, let's move on. How about this? Okay, what if we have a woman? She has ten coins, and she loses one of them. And a reference here to these ten coins, there's different, you know, ideas of what it is, but uh, supposedly at that time, the Jewish women would get ten coins and they use it as a bracelet uh, for their wedding or around their head that signified that they were married. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what it is. But um, he moves into this, this story here. And the story is interesting because unlike the sheep, this coin, it just becomes lost. It didn't wander away. And I wasn't really, you know, kind of sure how this really spoke, but... Um, you know, it's like me and my keys, or me and my wallet, or me and my phone, or me and my iPad. You get the idea, right? Bless Aaron's heart. <laughs> you guys, yeah. The ladies in here are thinking, hmm, okay, yeah. But you know, in my mind, I seriously, I travel in three different directions all at the same time while traveling in one direction. You figure that out, Right? Somebody's out there going, yeah, bro, I get it. I'm right with you, right? <laughs> okay, so let's get back to the book of Revelations here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it took a little while. That's good. Okay. But, um, you know, in this story, the coin is obviously is very valuable to this woman. And, um, and, and so it, it becomes lost. And... Uh, and perhaps sometimes, you know, in our own lives, maybe if we're thinking of this just being lost, we wake up and, and I don't know, we're just, we're just lost. We feel lost. We feel disconnected with God. And then we begin to believe a lie or something. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, we, we feel lost. And, and, we're not, and we can't connect with God. And so in this story, there is no prelude here. There's nothing that leads up to her losing um, this coin. She just loses one of her ten coins. And as in our, our first story, a few things happen. Number one. First thing that happens, she notices that the coin is lost. She's like, oh, where's that coin? Maybe she was putting on her bracelet. Number two, she relentlessly looks and searches for the lost coin just like our father. And what does she do? So she grabs a light, and, and she's looking around with the light, and she grabs a broom, sweeping. It's got to be here somewhere. It's only in this confined area. I know it's here somewhere. And so she relentlessly looks for it. But notice two important words again uh, in verse 8. She seeks diligently. Once again, everything of this is a picture of our God the Father. She searches diligently. God searches diligently. And that word again, until. Until she finds it. Until she finds it. Number three, she finds it. Number four, 
She rejoices. She calls her friends. And she wants to say, come, come, come on in, man. I'm so excited. Come celebrate with me. I have found my lost coin. I have found my lost son. I have found my lost daughter. Come celebrate with me, the Lord says. And then the bonus, and then fellowship is restored. Uh, This is a little weird for you maybe, but the coin joins the other 10 coins, okay? That's a picture there, right? They're all happy. They're together again, all right? So, (laughs) and the bonus, heaven rejoices, and there is joy in heaven every time somebody comes back, anytime somebody repents, uh, which is just a great and neat picture. And so now our last story, okay? The third part of Jesus in this expanded parable, and everybody is familiar with this. Um, the last one, I think, more than any other, though, it kind of speaks to us a little bit more because of the humanness of it. you got a father and you got a son here and another son. And, and these things, they kind of add up all together. You can almost think of these stories in one sense of value, in numbers, you got sheep, okay, versus coin, versus, which was, was, you know, somewhat expensive, versus the sun, which is invaluable, right? You have one sheep out of 100, you have one coin out of 10, and you have then one son out of two sons. And so it, all of this is funneling and focusing in as we look at God's love for us. So this familiar parable known as the prodigal son, and although that's a big part of it, where we're going to focus on is, is the father here, okay? A big part of this parable is a picture of the loving father, which, of course, flows from these other stories. So let's read it. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to go 11 through 13 and 17 through 24. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided, this is the father, his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verses 17 through 24. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came uh, to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Began to celebrate. Now I came across something, um, uh, I think it's kind of funny, actually, here. And if you're a teenager, you might find this a little little funny here. But it's seven things you'll never hear your dad say. Okay, we're going to start with number seven and go down. You ready? Okay. I notice that all your friends have a hostile attitude. I like that. (laughs) Number six. Well, now that you're 13 years old, princess, I want you to start dating older guys. (laughs) Number five. No son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring or a tattoo. 
Number four, Weston doesn't live under my roof anymore. They need anyone who wants. Okay. <laughs> Number three, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might just want to consider throwing a party. Number, number, number two, hey, son, daughter, here's my credit card and keys to my card. Now, hey, go crazy. Have a great time. And uh, number one thing uh, that you'll never hear your dad say is this. Well, looks like I'm lost. I guess I'll have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> now we just have to rip on dads on that all the time, right? Okay. But wh- <laughs> why do I say this? Well, here's the transition. One thing that you'll never hear your heavenly father say is this. If you walk away from me, you can never come back. That's not his character. That's not who he is, as we've been learning to these first two stories. Instead, Jesus has been teaching us that God is a loving father, that he loves you and me so much that you are free to walk out of fellowship with him. He won't stop you. He won't, he won't make you. But if he sees you, he will run to meet you more than halfway if you decide to return to him. You cannot ser- sever your relationship with God. Okay, I want you to hear this. You cannot sever your relationship with God, but you can certainly break fellowship with him. The whole time this prodigal son was away, he was still a son, wasn't he? But he had left the presence, he had left the favor, he left everything of his father. And, and, and friends, we can do that too. That can happen to us. Once you become a Christian, God establishes a love relationship with you. He is your father, and nothing can ever change that. But if you or I, if we choose to rebel, if we choose to disobey, he will allow it. He will never leave you. But if I walk out of fellowship with him, he's going to let me go. Let's walk through our steps again, although they're worded a little bit differently. The five things that happen in this story, and you'll see uh, just a beautiful picture of the calling of God here. Number one, in this case, he knows his son. He notices he knows his son is lost, okay, uh, in 13. So verse 13, uh, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Number two, he searches or sought. And so this also is a little bit different, but we can uh, preclude. And and the, the nuance of the text here is such that the dad was, in a sense, always looking, uh, always glancing, looking out to see uh, where his son was, seeking him in a certain way with his his heart here. Some people would say that, you know, he was there just, just waiting all the time. Well, no, this is days, things are going on. But I can imagine him that every time he saw the road um, and he was doing his work, whatever, that he was glancing, he was looking to see if his son was coming back. And number three found, in this case, the son is found when the son realizes that he needs to come home. It's time to come home. So let me ask you this question. So what if you find yourself here in this situation, you've walked away from God. Um, you not just wandered away, but you've walked away from God. How do you return to him? Well, let me give you a couple of ideas here of what that might look like according to uh, this story here. The first, thing this is to, the first thing is to just realize. Realize that you are a mess without your Lord and Savior. You had fellowship with him one time. 
And so number one is to realize. Verse 17 says, when he came to himself, in other words, when he came to his senses, he realizes the error of his way, okay? And he's thinking, boy, man, I really messed up. I, what, what did I have? I had, my daddy had this great place and all this property, and he has servants now who eat better than me, and, and I'm dirty and smelly. I, I, need to, I need to go back. Boy, man, I really messed up. And this is the turning point of this story. The turning point of this story here is, is before you can return to God, you must realize that you are a mess without him. Now, the second step on the road back uh, to God is to repent. And this is so important. After uh, the son realized the, sh- the shame and he realized the situation, the next thing he said was this. He said, I have sinned. Verse 18, he admitted his rebellion was a sin against God. And that's what the Bible calls confession. And so confession and repentance, they kind of go hand in hand. So he confesses, he's repenting. And when you confess your sin, you know, you aren't notifying, you aren't telling God something that he doesn't already know. No, it's us coming into that realization of where we are. And so confession occurs when we agree with God that our behavior is sin. And at the same time, you display this remorse because you know it's wrong and because you know how much God loves you and you regret over your sin. And that's what we hear in the son's statement. I have sinned against heaven. Third step is to return. After he comes to his senses, he admits his sin, he was ready for the final step. And he said in verse 18, I will go back. And what does the dad do when he sees his son? He runs to meet him. Number four is that he celebrates. His dad came running down the road and, and he opened wide his arms. He loves. He, it says in there he hugged him and he kissed him. He put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. He killed the fatted calf. And they all began to celebrate. That is the picture of your father when you come back to him. Is that not amazing? To me, it's amazing how much this picture of God's love is. That's how God will respond to you today if you'll come home to him. He's inviting you to return. And that's really the theme of the entire Bible, isn't it? Restoration. God is restoring. Number five, obviously, fellowship is restored. Um, and the worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up now. Fellowship is restored with the family. And let me leave you with this uh, this morning. Now, you may be sitting here listening to this message, and you're thinking, you know, Rich, that's really not me. I, I, I'm okay. And that's not, that's not prideful. That's not boastful, okay? And I haven't wandered away, and I didn't wake up and just find myself lost. I haven't deliberately walked away from God. I, I'm pretty good. I'm in a good place. Well, if that's you, what do you do with this message? I mean, a lot of you could just be sitting there going, you know, that's, that's great. That's awesome. You're hearing about God's love, and that's affirming to you. But I'm not really there. What do I do with this? Well, first, number one, if you ever find yourself in any of those situations, hopefully you understand the heart of God and you will not stay away from him that long. But if you are okay, let me direct you back to the first couple of verses, specifically the last part of verse 2, where it says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. By virtue of being a Christ follower and therefore imitator of Christ, we're given the, man to, the command to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Do we not see a compelling reason to connect with the lost here? Not just hang out with the, the righteous, with the church folk, 
that we seem to be okay? Is that a good thing to do? Yes, we talk about fellowship and connecting. But, but they're there. Those 99, they're there, okay? Is it not a compelling reason to connect with the lost and not just hang out with the righteous? Those that don't need saving, according to a couple of those verses. In Luke 19, uh, verse 10, Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. Are we imitators of Christ? And in Luke 5, 31, check this out. It says, verse, starting verse 30, actually, but the Pharisees and their scribes complained to Jesus, here's it once again, disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, is it not the healthy who needs a doctor? Uh, is it not the healthy who needs a doctor but the sick? I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So who are you going to hang out with? Are you willing to risk a little bit? Do you have any lost brothers and sisters that you need to go after like Jesus and like the shepherd, like God the Father goes after us? Is there anybody in your life? I know you're thinking of somebody right now. And if you're here and you've wandered away or you've been lost and you want to come back or if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you have heard this morning how much he loves you and that you will make that decision this morning to let him into your life, let him carry you on his shoulders. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love that you show us. As we continue to worship you, Lord, in all that you do, as we uh, take our tithes and our offerings here, as just a, a response in one small way to your love, May we grasp in a new way. May we leave here uh, this morning knowing that your love never ends. Or may we leave here this morning knowing that we also have a purpose of seeking after those that are lost and to bring them into the fold. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.